Biggie. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. Biggie. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Hot Take Hot Box. My name is Matt McSweeney, joining you here live, live and in color, on a beautiful, smoldering hot Wednesday afternoon, July 20th, 2022, during the middle of the All-Star break, here on a Wednesday where there is no professional sports going on other than the WNBA, which that game already happened. So for all you gambling degenerates, it is going to be a tough night. Uh, Take a cold shower, do something along those lines. For the rest of you, we are here to talk about the Philadelphia sports scene, what is going on, our Philadelphia Phillies, who suffered a four-game losing streak, bounced back, and swept the Marlins in a series where they dominated the fish and won the series overall 16-1. to since we last spoke, uh, last episode with uh, the Deem, and shout out to the Deem, thank you for joining me again. Uh, he gave you uh, a, the lock of the of the weekend, which was Cam Smith, around like uh, I think at least plus twelve hundred uh, or above to win the Open Championship this weekend. Uh, Alec Bohm, who uh, dislocated his finger sliding into second base. Uh, the thought was that he may have broke his finger. He thought he broke his finger at the time. Luckily, he was able to get away with just a dislocation, and he was able to play this past weekend in, in in Miami, which is incredible. So just when you think the chips are down, when everyone out there thinks the chips are down, they start to count out your beloved Philadelphia Phillies. What do they do? They bounce back like they always do. And maybe it sometimes takes a little longer than usual. But it always happens, and the Phillies always bounce back. I mean, they lost four straight there. The, losing those last two of that Cardinal series, ugly. Uh, going up to Toronto, missing some of your guys, JT crying about the losing a little bit of money, which was over a quarter million dollars that it didn't look good going up there. And and you had the feeling that shit was not going to go our way. Once we, once we got up above the border and and it didn't, we got smoked in a few of those games. I mean, well, especially the, not the few, there's only two of the games. The first one was close. Second one, not so much. We were, were pretty much out of it from the very beginning, and that was a Wheeler game, which was quite upsetting. I mean, the first game, Berrios has 13 Ks, and, and you know, of course, uh, who who gets the loss for the game? My favorite reliever, Familia, who I just can't understand why I, I, he still gets gets some burn out there. I, I just, I there has to be other options. There has to be a, a better way to to get through these games than than throwing that guy out there because it just seems like he is an automatic, at least going to give up some runs. I mean, he's got a four eighty ERA. He just comes into the game. I, I still in my it sticks in, in my head the the Texas Rangers game where he just came in and was serving up bomb after bomb after bomb. Now there's plenty of. I mean, that game it, it kind of seemed like a throw it away game. You you had Michael Kelly in the game. You had more. more uh, Mark Appel, yeah, Mark Appel was, uh, had a little bit of a stuttering uh, bout there, but that that Toronto series just seemed like a throwaway, and you can't really throw away games in the situation that the Phillies are in, but they just didn't have much much of a chance. I mean, some the lineups that they were running out there in these games were, were I mean, you're starting Garrett Stubbs, you're having to count on Odubel, Veerling's playing third base, 
you know, you got Stott high. In, I mean, Stott actually had a pretty good series. Stott looks like he's been turning it around a little bit, and, and then you're counting on, you know, Derek Hall to K three times in, in, in that first game. It's not a good situation. Stott's average is now up to around 188, which it was dipping down to 160. None of that is good, but it's better. It seems like it's trending in the uh, the better direction. So, like I said, Phils didn't do well in, in Toronto. Uh, thank God we don't have to go. We don't have to deal with that, and we have a plenty of unvaccinated players. Apparently, come back to Miami, and we win a close, close game on Friday night. Uh, Alcantara pitches, and they are able to get the best of them. They, you know, they, he only gives up two runs, but. Gibson out pitches him, uh, you know, only he only won six innings, but the bullpen comes in, shuts the door, Alvarado, Hand, and Sir Anthony comes in, and, and Sir Anthony made it very interesting, and it seemed like a game that was going to slip away. This seemed like a, a game in years past where you'd hear Tom McCarthy talking about, that ball's going to get in the gap, two runs are going to score here, and the Marlins are going to walk the Phillies off here on Friday night. Poof, this is the sound of fireworks. Poof, poof. And you just hear like ten fans going, yeah, yeah, like that's what that's what it felt like at the time. But as we've learned through the through these you know these past few months and it, just through this this season, I guess that this team's a little bit different. It's not that roll over die sort of team. It's not that let's just wait and see how they lose this game sort of situation. They 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 figure out a way to win. In a game where you're going against their ace, the best pitcher in the National League, you find a way to win, and you get two runs. They're down through pretty much the whole game. Marlins get the run in the, in the second inning, and the Phils come up, and Derek Hall and JT Romuto knock home two runs, you know, one each. So that that's what winning baseball teams do. That, that that's I'll continue to say that each weekend here, and that you know you can say oh it's the Marlins or what you you can use whatever excuse you can want to to diminish it. The Marlins have kicked our ass. We've we've all talked about it at length. Any Phillies fan knows the Marlins have had our number for the past few years, especially in Miami. So now we're going down to Miami and we're sweeping them with with what appears to be pretty much you know some some ease, and you're beating their best pitcher. You're you're not you're not giving uh, you know losing two of three and you're just killing yourself in the in the division. You just continue to sink lower and lower and lower. Not only the division, the wild card. You know what I mean. But so this isn't the same old pessimistic fills. All right, this this is a different this is a different unit out here, and this is a team that is still set up for for a playoff run, barring some additions at the deadline, getting some of these injury guy injured guys back. It, it, it's just. I, I, Again, I'll continue to say this is a different vibe surrounding this team. Okay, They win that close game on Friday night. How do they respond? What do they do to answer that? They go out and they pound the Marlins into the fucking dirt. They shut the fish out 10-zip. JT two-run homer. Hoskins homer. Gregorius with a, with a, a two-RBI single. Stott gets an RBI. Boom with an RBI. Gregorius hits a home run. All right? A homer. First of the season. Schwarber hits a homer. Now you know towards the, in that eighth inning, especially towards the end of that game, it, it it got away from the Marlins, and they didn't exactly have the best pitcher in the game. They brought some guy like off the streets to to throw in that inning. Uh, Pot, Cody Poteet, or however you say this gentleman's name, left that guy out to dry on a Saturday evening 
he get, he gets a, he does a five runs over two innings. God bless. Uh, probably going to get sent down immediately after that. Then the Phils bounce back on another uh, for another game Sunday. Nola goes eight and a third, absolutely dominant. Ten Ks. They tried to give him that uh, ninth inning, but he just couldn't. He gave up a hit, and they just didn't want to take any chances. He was already high in the pitch count. Phils get the hits and runs from Bohm, Veerling, and uh, Jair Munoz. Uh, he hits a home run that scores two. So again, another great uh, another great bounce back series from the Phillies, beating a team that they should beat that they haven't beaten in the past. I think that's the important point here to to p- put that in. Like it, it's not not oh you know we beat one of the best teams in the league and but again that does not matter right now. You could beat the Dodgers like we we beat them in a series. We almost swept them in a series. You know, we you beat the Yankees. It does not matter if you don't make the playoffs. So we just have to keep winning games and get ourselves into the playoffs. Right now, as it stands, we are in the playoffs, I'm pretty sure. We we are, yeah. We we are t- tied technically with the Cardinals, but we have a one-point uh, percentage advantage in the win percentage column, which is quite interesting. But again, does not matter right now because the season does not end right now. There are plenty of games left to go. Phillies open up off the break with a series against the Cubs, a team that's 20-plus games under five hundred. And and we are getting closer and closer to getting the Segura, getting the Segors of the world back, getting Harper back. We we are probably a little over a month from getting Harper back. I imagine my guess is the end of August, early September, you will see Bryce Harper back in the lineup, back in the DH spot. Don't know what that means for Derek Hall. Uh, it's not. I really don't care because Bryce Harper is the better, is a light years better player, but. I have been pleasantly surprised by the output that we've gotten from him. I thought he was going to be a strikeout machine. He kind of is a strikeout machine, but he's also produced, you know, I thought he was like home run or bust, but he hits the ball hard. He gets doubles. He gets singles. Like he's not just a one trick pony necessarily. He's hitting 262 in his, you know, 16 games that he's been up. So, uh, like I said, pleasantly surprised. He has done a good job of keeping the boat afloat while, shout out to my voice crack, but sh- while Bryce Harper's been out. So it seemed like Castellanos, you know, these Castellanos, Hoskins, uh, Schwarber, obviously still hitting 208, but he has 29 home runs. And the Phils go into the All Star break. Schwarber gets robbed in the, in the, in the home run derby. That's that was some of the most fixed shit I've ever seen in my entire life. The I don't know who's counting the home runs if they're relying on ESPN or, or, or something. I have no idea, but they're counting Pujols' home runs that were past the time. And then Schwarber obviously had twenty. I I thought at the time I was like, oh okay. And, and even Eduardo Perez is like, did he? Did he? Did he beat him? Did he beat him? And, and they just yeah yeah let's go Pujols woohoo yeah let's go bro. And that was it. They just kept it moving. Uh, got Pulos into the next round. Uh, Soto, you know, he, I mean, Pulos put up a good performance. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate. He, he, he looked good. It just, it, it is. And listen, it is just the home run derby. Before you all are like, well, why do you care about this? Well, listen, there's a lot of money gambled on the home run derby. It, I'm sure if you ask the sports books and, and look, look this up, and, and I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere. I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. It's one of the most gambled on uh, all-star weekend events of any of the four major sports. 
So you, you, it, it's when there's money involved, it should be somewhat taken seriously. Especially, I'm pretty sure the winner gets like a million dollars. I don't know if they have to donate it to charity or whatever shit they have to do with it, but it shouldn't be just a, a kind of uh, willy nilly. Oh yeah, like that counts. When obviously you're looking at, at the footage and, and this guy, they're just counting home runs that that aren't you know that are thrown well after the buzzer uh, sounds. And oh yeah, he released it. Like nah, bro, I have eyes. I I can see that he didn't release that. And I thought Schwarber had the 20 home runs that would have forced us another swing off. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. He shouldn't have been in that situation. And I thought the pitcher for Schwarber was awful, awful. Just throwing the guy high cheese the entire time. I just couldn't understand what the what the hell was going on. But hey, what do you? At the end of the day, what are you gonna do? It's just a home run derby. I bet Soto. I had Soto. Soto and Schwarber were my two picks. I thought one of those guys from that side of the bracket was gonna get in the championship, and that's that was my logical conclusion there. Thought Schwarber would win uh, against Pujol, so I would have at least, like I said, at least one guy in the final. But he didn't. Soto took care of business against Pujol, and then Julio Rodriguez was in the final from the Mariners, and he, it's, I mean, he hit like 80 home runs over the over the course of the competition. It just seemed like how many home runs are you expect this guy to hit. He was probably gassed out by the time he got to that final, and and Soto was able to. Get it done. Uh, shout out to Juan Soto, who just turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract. Something Mike Trout would have never done. He would have never turned that that contract down, no matter where it was offered to him or who or what. I don't blame Juan Soto. I don't want to be stuck in, in Washington with, with a team that is probably going to be changing ownership, and, and you're not you're you're going to have no idea what your future is like or. Will you ever see a playoff berth again? I mean, he's won he's won a World Series, but do you don't don't you want to? I mean, you could. The thing is, with especially these guys, and I know there's like the risk of injury, and there's always taking that chance that something crazy could happen, and you're losing out on the opportunity to make that money. But barring barring anything crazy happening Juan Soto is going to receive a contract offer from what especially if he hits the the open market he's going to receive crazy offers from every team in the majors that that's just that's just what it is because he's one of the top 5 best best talents best players in the major leagues so you if you want to dictate your future and where you go then that that's your best option you're not just going to lock yourself into a 15 year deal where yes, you're getting guaranteed money, but now you have no control over where you play or what they do with you. You're you're kind of just stuck playing irrelevant baseball in Washington for God knows how long until they turn that thing around. And who knows if they'll turn that thing around anytime soon, you know? So you, no, no one wants to just waste away their, their career in a place. Uh, some people don't. I mean, some people do. Some people just like the money. They like to play you know, their games in a place that, no one really watches, and, and people, you know, it, it don't really care, you know, what he has to do. There's there was a nice place uh, that he called that's uh, the, a certain guy from that plays in Los Angeles calls home that would have loved and serenaded a guy to come home and, and play in front of his home his hometown fans that he claims he loves so much. He's a you know, big time Eagles fan, all that. He chose the easy way out. He took the money and ran. And listen, hey man, I'm I'm going to say. I do not blame anyone who does that. I can't imagine being uh, having a check 
of that large sum placed in front of me and saying, nah, I'm good. I, 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 I'm going to take the chance. I, I, you know what I'm saying? I can't imagine, especially if I live in Los Angeles and, and life seems pretty good when you have that much money and live in Los Angeles. But you, you got, you, you're, you're getting, you, I'm taking your Philly card. So at least, uh, at least I'm putting an a, a red X on your Philly card. You can't claim to love the city as much as you do when you could have gotten very similar money. If I don't know about more, but probably a very similar contract if he had come here in the open market or say the Phillies had traded for him and then agreed to a contract. I have no doubt in my mind. He makes the same amount of money pretty much anywhere he goes because he's a generational talent. He's one of the best baseball players we'll ever see with our eyes. I mean, three-time MVP. I mean, he has won accolade after accolade after accolade. He he's he, like you know, great in the field. I mean, he's won MVPs where he's hitting three thirty. Uh, you you just go through some of some of Mike Trout's stats. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the thing that bothers me the most is that his career is wasting away. He's he's entering. You know, he's in his thirties now. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, he's he's thirty one. He's 31. He's about to be 32. Or no, he's about to, he's 30, I think. He's about to be 31 in August. You know, you got you got to do the math here sometimes on this podcast. Not good for you to hear me do math. Not good for me to actually do math, you know? So, I apologize for that. But go through some of these uh, ridiculous stats, okay? There's years where he has got he's got, you know, 36 homers, 111 RBIs, 41 homers, 45 homers in 2019. The, the whole, like, the list just goes on and on and on. Like, it, it, it's, these stats are ridiculous, okay? This guy's been playing baseball since he was 19 years old in the, at the professional, not even the professional level, the major league level, the highest level that you can play baseball in, in the world, okay? Seasons when he's 20 years old, okay? He's 20 years, this is, this is 20, he's 20 years old, hitting 30 home runs, 83 RBIs with a 326 average. Okay, stealing 49 fucking bases. That's insane. Next year he goes 323. Okay? Like you run through his average 287, 299, 315, 306, 312, 291, 281, 333. He's hitting 270 this year. This is like a low, this is a really bad year for Mike Trout in comparison to everything. I mean, I don't count his rookie year when he's 19 years old hitting 220 in 40 games. I, I'm sorry. All right? Call me, call me, you know, a, a hypocrite or a picket. I'm not counting that. Okay? But this guy is it's a it's unbelievable how remarkable this guy has been. And no one gives a shit because he plays in the most one of the most irrelevant franchises in the major leagues. He's the second team in Los Angeles and I think he likes it that way. That that is basically my whole point. He wants to play in a place where no one cares about him and and no one really gives a shit. And there's not that much pressure and, and I mean the guy has one hit in in the playoffs in his whole career, he has twelve at bats. They got swept by the Yankees when he was twenty two years old. That was in twenty fourteen. It's eight years ago now. He had a home run. That's it. That's it. He is a three time MVP, and he's coming second for the award four different times. So he was either first or second for the for the most valuable player in the American League 
in 20, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19. I mean, are you kidding me? And 17 is just because he only played 114 games. And I'm assuming that that is re- result of injury uh, of some kind. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. And no one cares. He's kind of just up on that pedestal of, yeah, he's by far the best player. But, eh, you know, no, no one re- really cares. It's, and I don't even say that to be mean. I'm more, it's more of like anger on his behalf. That and you can it's partially, I'm sure Major League Baseball could uh, promote him better, or, or or you know a major. I'm not saying Major League Baseball doesn't have uh, some culpability in, in him not being a bigger star than he is, but it also comes to him. You know, it, it lays at his feet too, and the fact that he's not exactly the most electric personality in in the entire on the entire planet. And that it's not you can't act like you're someone else than you are. Okay, I'm not saying that. It's just it is what it is, right? So you're good at baseball. You're a great baseball player. You're you're not you know you're just not a huge star. So people will appreciate you for your talent, no matter where you go. But people are just going to forget that you're that you're existing, especially when you're playing in Los Angeles and there's a guy like Shohei Otani who's just wowing and just shocking crowds all the time with his pitching his hitting he's just remarkable he won the he won the MVP last year he's Mike Trout is on the same team as the reigning MVP and they are how many games under 500 their manager just got fired this year it, it, it's like it, you know if I was a big Mike Trout fan I'd, I'd be upset truly I would be like, this is, this is awful. We need to get him out of here. But he made a conscious decision to sign a 12-year contract. That is my point with the whole Juan Soto thing. You can't be locking yourself into a contract with organizations that you are just going to waste away in, and you, it's, it's just you're just throwing away your prime and some of the best baseball that you have to offer for that guaranteed money. And money that you're probably going to make, like I'm saying, you're taking a chance. I understand that. But money that you are probably going to make no matter where you go. In a couple years or or here, there. You know, I mean, he's making over 15, you know, I believe it's between 15 and $20 million for this year. Like, due to arbitration, he's going to be compensated well for these next couple seasons before he hits the open market. So I think that that's his... Thought process is that it won't, you know, I'm just going to wait this out until I either get traded to somewhere that I want to be or I, I get a contract that kind of suits me a little bit more because 15 years over, you know, $440 million, although that's a large sum, you're probably not making as much annually as he could, say, if he were to sign a shorter term deal, right? So I, I just, you know, I just want the best for Mike Trout. That, that's. That's where that's where I go here. Uh, the Angels are f- what thirty nine and fifty three, twenty games out of first place. They've just sunk like a lead balloon. I believe Mike Trout's hurt right now. He's got left rib cage inflammation, if Google tells me correctly. So, I mean, what? 
whatever. But it's just another. It's another season where you won't see him in the playoffs. You won't see the, the the league's best player playing in the most important games. His season is pretty much already irrelevant, but it definitely will be irrelevant by the time September comes around. If he's if he even decides to come back and play, I, I know he's going to play. I'm not like it's not like he's going to shut shut it down for the season, but he he could and, and just call it quits because none of these games are going to matter. He's just he, at this point just racking stats up. Same thing with Otani. The Angels can spend, 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 but they. Don't have they're just not a winning a uh, winning organization. They don't they're not that kind of franchise. They they he but he knows that though. He made that decision to sign that twelve year deal, and he took the easy way out. Could have came to Philadelphia. Could have done some special things. Could have become the prince of the city. Never had to buy a beer, no matter what. Even with all that big with that big bankroll in your in your pocket, you know you make your decision. You gotta lie with it. Well, lie with your four hundred and some million dollars. I'm not exactly sure how much he made. Four hundred and twenty-six over twelve years. So that, that makes the Soto contract look look like shit in comparison. When he, you know, he's getting much more annually than Soto would have been lined up for. There you go. So there's my. There you go. That's my Mike Trout rant for the day. I did not think I was gonna do ten minutes on Mike Trout and his career, but this is what happens in July and August and when you do a podcast. So now now that I'm all juiced up and revved up, let's get into the Flyers. <sighs> what a disgust what, what a just a disgusting organization the Flyers have become. Uh and they're a team that's that has and I don't even know truly where to begin here. So I have been shitting on the Flyers whenever I talk about them for at least the last year. Uh I always by the time, you know, or when the when this when the regular season is about to start, I think all right, you know, maybe this is the year. The not even that the year they're going to win the cup, but the, uh, we'll just be not embarrassing. Okay, it will we'll be a, a solid organization that I can at least be proud to call a Philadelphia team, and I'll watch them on a night in night out basis. And I give them a chance a, a, every year. I'm like, okay, this is you know this is it. But by Say the season starts in early October. By the time Thanksgiving rolls around, uh, the season's pretty much over. The hope is gone. Half the team is injured, and you're watching guys who you have no idea who they are, and they probably won't be here next year, so there's no point in getting emotionally invested in any of these guys. You're watching these guys skate around, play hockey, and get embarrassed on a night-in and night-out basis. So the Flyers have no true leadership anymore. Okay, they're owned by Comcast Spectacor. They used to be owned by Ed Snyder. Now a man named Dave Scott is the guy who is somewhat running the Flyers or somewhat in charge of what is going on there. He is a man who pops in and out from time to time. He will release a video uh, from the upper decks of the stadium acting like he is one of us or that he cares what the Flyers do. And say we are going to get this right. We we are going to fix this situation and whatnot. Now my anger. Let me just say all before I start. Just shoot. The, like I listen, the guns loaded. I have no idea who I'm about to shoot. It's just it's just gonna. I'm just gonna start shooting. Okay. Just want to let people know that. And these are verbal bullets. Okay. Not, I don't condone violence in any way, shape, or form. There's no leadership from the top. Any 
business, organization, anything, your, your job, wherever you are in, in the world, if you do not have leadership that comes from the top, the fish stinks from the head down. That is a cliche uh, statement that you will hear or that you have heard throughout your whole life, and it's true. If there is no accountability from the top, then the people below you will operate and with with uh, car blanche and will have no fear of the repercussions of not doing their job in the correct manner. Now, do you think if Ed Snyder were still here, God rest his soul, that the Flyers would have turned their back on Johnny Gaudreau the way they did? No, that would have never, ever happened. They would not have turned their back on a guy from this area who was essentially begging to come to the Flyers. All reports point in that direction that he was telling friends, family, uh, players, uh, anyone who would listen, I want to come to Philly, I want to play for the Flyers. But Chuck fucking Fletcher, okay? And that's that's what his name will be, Chuck fucking Fletcher. Because Chuck Fletcher is a guy who is now the general manager of our Flyers. Okay, and Chuck Fletcher, let, let's just go through Chuck Fletcher a little bit and, and let, you know, go through his career because you, know, you would think that this guy is one of the greatest living general managers who's ever existed. Okay, He was an assistant general manager for the Florida Panthers from 93 to 2002. 2002, 2006, he was director of hockey operations, assistant general manager, and vice president of amateur blah, blah, blah for the Anaheim Ducks. Fletcher then served three years as the assistant general manager for the Penguins under Ray Shiro. Fletcher was then hired as the general manager of the Minnesota Wild on May 21, 2009, a position he held for eight years. How many Stanley Cups did the Minnesota Wild win in that, in that time period? Exactly. Okay, that's a. I'm sorry. He was a nine-year ten tenure with the Minnesota Wild. So let's go for fun, for shits and giggles. Let's go through that nine-year tenure. Okay, so he takes over in 2009. So that would be the 09-2010 season. They go 38, 36, and eight. Did not qualify for the playoffs. Pretty similar record, 39, kind of middle of the road. Did not qualify for the playoffs. Next year, 11-12, a worse record. Did not qualify for the playoffs. So somewhere along the lines, he gives contracts to Ryan Suter and Zach Parise. That I am not exactly sure what year that was, uh, or I'm going to look that up right now while I'm on the spot. But they do finally... Make the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen, which is amazing. Now, that Ryan Suter contract is actually one of the better better things that he did during his time in Minnesota. I'm pretty sure he's still playing for the Minnesota Wild. He just, or I'm sorry, last year, he actually moved on and signed with the Dallas Stars. Okay, so 2012. So there you go. The summer of 2012 going into 2013, Suter signs a 13-year, $98 million contract, which is absolutely nuts. 
that that only that shit would happen in, in hockey and, and baseball. Those are the only two sports where you can sign a contract of that length. Zach Parise also went along with him. That that's those were the two like big signings of Chuck Fletcher's tenure. So that's in 2012. Uh, and you know I'm losing my mind right here because I'm trying to do too much uh, math and whatnot. But they finally do make the playoffs that season. And they lose in five games to the Blackhawks, who were a juggernaut at the time. Not going to hate on them. And, and you, they finally win a playoff series. The point being, he wins two playoff series in his nine-year tenure, never getting out of the second round. And this guy is in here telling me how how my franchise should be run or that he's some sort of hockey czar that I have no idea what I'm talking about, that moving JVR in a first-round pick to clear up cap to bring Johnny Gaudreau in isn't really worth it. That's the shit that just it, it, it grinds my gears, and, and, and I get angry, okay? I get angry when people try to insult my intelligence as a, as a hockey fan. Now, I am not... The biggest hockey fan in the world. I love my Flyers. I do. I love. I love watching hockey. I love watching playoff hockey. I-, I have always just adored the Flyers. I really have. It's something from my upbringing. My my dad was a huge Flyers fan. He still is. Uh, they when when I was coming up, the Flyers were you know make, run, making Stanley Cup runs. And they had the Keith Primos, the John LeClairs, Mark Recchi. They had these names that Eric Desjardins, just to throw a few out, that were like pillars in the city and just in the sports conversation. Okay, that you know, you had the Allen Iversons, the McNabs. Okay, like that was all a thing. But the Flyers were also legit at all times. Roman Chekmonic, okay, Robert Esch. It was always a thing. They didn't have really like the best goalie, but they were always, you know, making runs against John Tortorella's Lightning, losing in seven games. Like they, they weren't they, they were a team that was not embarrassing. And and they hadn't been that team until pretty recently. And and since since the passing of Mr. Snyder, they have been a, a, an absolute joke because there's no one there to keep I I, to, I guess the word is to instill fear in the organization, and to set a standard for the organization to let people know that what is going on is unacceptable. What, what, what we have going on here is so unacceptable, it's, it, 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 this can't be it. Okay? There, there was a year where the Flyers were, were awful. It was either 04, 05, 06, one of those seasons where they wound up getting, getting the first pick. Oh, I'm sorry, I... I my mistake. How how could I not forget this or not remember this? Uh, they got the second pick, and they went on picking JVR as opposed to getting uh, Patrick Kane, which uh, any <laughs> any Flyers fan knows how much that that hurt for a long time, and it still hurts today. But uh, you know, time heals heals all wounds. My whole point in saying that is that was unacceptable. That season. The Flyers were not cool with that at all. Uh, Mr. Snyder, not cool with that at all. So the response was that the whole franchise needed to be, you know, overhauled. They that that what was happening right now is not okay. We need to change everything. We need to make moves. We need to trade this guy. We need to trade that guy. We need to bring this player in. There, there's just no. There's no. 
uh, urgency whatsoever throughout this whole organization. And my belief is that it comes from the top. And, and nothing is going to change for the foreseeable future. Because the Flyers said no to Johnny Gaudreau. And they brought in a a, a defense or, or, or a winger. Defense. No, I think they brought in a winger who is a fighter, a lovable psychopath, as some one of the articles said. And he's... They signed a four-year deal. He only has like like 80 points or not even 80 points. It's like 80 points for his whole career or something just fucking despicable that he, he allocates this money. And then Justin Braun, who they just traded at the trade deadline, who will just be another defenseman to add to the pair, add to the queue. And you got, you got their goalie who's now uh, allegedly or might be embroiled in some sort of sexual assault allegations or not him personally but the entire 2018 Canadian junior hockey team is now you know you, you can take your own time to go through that and look up the allegations it doesn't look good uh, he hasn't said much he's speaking through a lawyer right now a lot of guys are having to answer for things it, it, it not like it's awful right now this is this is the word and I unequivocally this is the worst I have ever, ever felt about the Philadelphia Flyers. Am I, how old am I now? 27? In my 27 years of existence, I have never in my life felt this disgusted by an organization. In this city, honestly. Uh, I, I've been mad at a lot of these different teams. The Phillies have upset me. And, and But I've never felt this sort of apathy and just disgust for a team that's in my own city that I have loved with my whole heart for my whole life. They have hurt me in ways that I can't even express. That goal, that goal in the Stanley Cup, cried like a baby that night. And, and that's probably one of the last times I, I cried over a, over a, a, a Philadelphia sporting event. You know, I'm older now. It's not, not easy to bring me to tears, but that like that that's what I'm saying, man. Like it just the that from that level to this, where I don't give a shit anymore. I still, like, I do, but I don't. You know what I mean. Like, there's just this apathy where I can't get invested in this garbage this year. I can't sit there and say, wow, like, I, I can't wait to see Morgan Frost or, or you know, Joel Farabee, who's going to be hurt now, or, or Sean Couturier. Hopefully he's healthy. Or maybe we'll get to see Ryan Ellis at some point this season. Hopefully Carter Hart doesn't go to jail or get suspended. It's just, you know, and Konechny, maybe he can chirp a little bit while he's mic'd up. Oh, that's great. They just, you know, hockey's like like me and Deem said in the last episode, and go, of course, go back and listen to the episode. Uh, it's timeless as always. Hockey's different. You know, you, you can make a run. You can get, get sneak into the playoffs. You can get hot. And if the hot team, blah, 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 blah. This team is so far away from being anything like that. They're a team that is trading draft picks to get the Ristolainens and the Tony D'Angelo's of the world. They're cap-strapped beyond belief, paying guys who have no business making the money that they do, ridiculous sums of money, giving fourth-liners four-year deals, leaving themselves no flexibility whatsoever, and not even willing to trade a Panthers pick 
if that's going to be used in two years for Johnny Gaudreau, who is one of the top 10 or 15 best players in the NHL, to come here and be here for the next decade or or, 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 or a little less than, you know, you get my point. You're able to get a franchise pillar, a guy who was begging to come here, a guy you can build your franchise around, a guy you can do this soft rebuild around and, and kind of speed it up. You chose not to do that. You chose to go a different route. You think that you're smarter than everyone else, Chuck. You chose to keep JVR and his large contract and that first round pick. And you chose to run it back th- this way. You're going to run it back essentially an aggressive retool. Uh, and you can use whatever word you want. The Flyers are going to fucking stink again this season. They are. Nothing's going to change. I have no hope. You're going to see a lot of young guys out there. And they are going to stink more than likely. Their only hope is that Tortorella just squeezes the, the, the lemon and gets every drop of fucking juice that he possibly can out of this team and, and that something changes. Or that they that he can and in that case I'm sure he'll be fired into you know by the end of next season or or whatever by because he's uh you know the the team has grown tired of him they've run out of gas and his voice has gotten stale and all of the excuses that these hockey uh you know aficionados use when they talk about these coaches how these coaches are just run out in three years or two years and Elaine Vignote was uh you know the the toast of the town and, and was canned uh early on this season so Maybe some hockey guy can come on here and tell me that I'm a moron and that the Flyers are this or that or that. But I think I speak for a lot of what Flyers fans believe and, and what they, how they feel. That I'm not, I'm not speaking out of turn here. This, this is, this is what it is. This is the situation we are in. The Flyers are a garbage organization, and they're not even process level of the Sixers because at least the Sixers were accumulating assets, and you saw a vision. You saw a vision for what they were trying to do and what the goal was to accomplish. Although they stunk, you know what the goal was to get those high, you know, get get as many picks as you can, get those lottery picks, and, and try to just land superstars. And obviously, different sport, you have to more grow the organization through hockey, more prospects, yada yada yada. But the point being, the Flyers have no vision whatsoever, and it, 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 it hurts my heart. That's the best way I can say it. It just hurts my heart because uh, it just it's apathy. It's absolute apathy, and, and it makes you not want to watch them at all because it feels like you're just supporting something, and if you continue to go to games and watch TV and, and, and you know watch these advertisements that people are paying to put on TV, and, and you're just supporting, you know, continue... Uh, Continuing to support the status quo, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It just nothing is going to change unless you go down and just really let them know how you feel, and whether that's going to the game and booing, but you're still spending money down there. I think the only way these people are going to understand, because to the to them, to Dave Scott, to his Comcast Spectacore, this is a investment. This is not a or you know a a a, a, a professional sports franchise that they're trying to turn into a winner. 
not in the immediate future. I mean, winning will obviously equal you know more money uh, in theory, but that's not their central goal or focus like it was when Mr. Snyder was running the show. Right now, the central focus is making money and trying to not lose the lose the least amount of money because I know right now based on what the I'm sure the, the I'm sure they do f- I, I honestly I don't know I don't know why I'm gonna even say like what I'm gonna say I have no idea how well they're doing but right now the, no no one should be going to these games no one should be watching this team and I'm not gonna tell you you're a fraud if you are because if you're a flyers fan you're a flyers fan watch them I'm not, I'm not gonna tell you not to support them but I personally I'm not, and I don't think people should because I just don't think anything's going to change unless they know that something needs to change. And Chuck Fletcher should be ashamed of himself. A guy who has, acts like he has earned this carte blanche and has, you know, just at this status of being what? Some sort of elite GM or, or whatever he thinks he is. He's not that. He is not that whatsoever. Since he's been here since 2018, and the Flyers have done shit since he's been here. So that's that. All right. I uh, I I'm that it's just upsetting to to have to do all that. I I don't. It doesn't make me feel good. It does not make me feel good. So let's keep it moving. Uh, there's not much left to talk about, to be honest. It is a it is slow in the sports world. Eagles training camp is right around the corner. The Sixers. Uh, James Harden has not signed that contract yet, but uh, an article came out that he, you know, or a different different uh, quote saying that he's told Daryl Morey to do whatever he can with, uh, you know, with the money that he has, and he'll sign with for what's at whatever's left. He's just trying to win a championship. That's his only focus. He wants to get his body right, and he wants to get back to that elite level that he know he can, and that he. He he know he, he you know like he. I, it's good to hear these things coming from him because we haven't heard them. In recent years, I haven't really followed it too much uh, when he was in Brooklyn or Houston or whatever. But it is good that he realizes what he did last year was not good enough. Like we've all said, like I've said here on this podcast, that you know one shot attempt in a closeout game is not going to do it. Uh, not being able to get by anyone, uh, not being able to make your jump shots, the step back not being there, just not being that player anymore. It, it, truly handicapped the Sixers last season and the Sixers are not going to go anywhere they can add this guy that guy that guy this guy this guy and that guy it won't matter if their second best player James Harden shows up the way he did last year especially in the playoffs especially in that second round that will that like that you know that game four being a mirage that 30 point performance where he carried the Sixers down the stretch and you know, tied the series, and that that's the last good thing that happened for the Sixers this season. That can't be that can't be the lasting image. That can't be the only thing that the Sixers fans are able to hold up to the sky. They that something they will they will need they will need the beard. They will need the you know, Chef Harden. They will need the, the, like whatever the. Uh, loser cliche you want to use. They just need the old uh, a version of the old James Harden to show up. We don't need the MVP to show up. We just need a guy who's willing to be more aggressive in the biggest games of the season. We don't need J- or Ben Simmons without the defense. We don't need one shot attempt in the second half. 
We don't need a guy who's going to dribble, 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 pass, and then want nothing to do with the ball or go stand in the corner or not want to play point guard at the end of that game. That that can't be a thing. So the Sixers have much more problems than James Harden, but they will do nothing unless James Harden plays better. And he is the only thing that I view as uh, hope that the Sixers can be better than they were last year. And they obviously are going to be better with the different additions that they've made, the bench, uh, the, the depth, the, they were just a much better uh, overall team than they were last year. I saw Zach Lowe saying that this is the best uh, Sixers team of the Embiid era. That's just not true. The Sixers team that had Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, it, that was a better team. Now, it wasn't as deep. It wasn't necessarily... Uh, but I don't. I'd like to see this team... Come, come the regular season, and then uh, maybe we can have that discussion. But right now on paper, no, that, that other team was much better. Much better. And this team doesn't have much of a backup center either other than Paul Reed and Charles Bassey, who's having trouble getting minutes in Summer League. So there you go. And if I miss anything, I'll get to it next week. I will get to it maybe even later on in the week. Uh, Going to have a possible guest again next week. We'll see. Uh, you can't count on these people. A lot of people are a little. And hey, if you're out there and you want to, you want to come on the podcast, uh, you can go through the interview process. Hit me up at one eight hundred Hot Take Hotbox. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. We will have another episode of the Shoulder Strikes MMA podcast coming up this week, where we cashed out last week. We're gonna cash out again this week. We cash out every week. Thank you. <laughs>